0: Shelly, let's face it, texting candidates is the easiest way to hire quicker today. But your cell phone doesn't connect to your ATS. You're sharing your personal number with strangers. That's pretty scary, right, Shelly? And mm-hmm. it's not even legally compliant.
1: Mm, this is where our friends at RecText come in. They've created simple yet powerful text recruiting software that works with your ATS. Plus, it's designed by recruiters for recruiters, so you know it works. To learn more and book a demo, visit www.rectxt.com, mention the Recruitment Flex, and get 10% off annual plans.
0: Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge.
1: And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now.
0: Bonjour and welcome to the Recruitment Flex. I'm Serge, and as always, joined by Shelly. Shelly, how are you?
1: Shelly, Shelly? No, just go with Shelly. One Shelly's good. Well, isn't your nickname Shelly two times? (laughs) Yeah, actually. So there you go. Thank you for that, Serge. I'm so (laughs) glad you pointed that out. We're here today to talk about the biggest thing happening in employer branding. There's a new book out this week. And we are honored by His Royal Highness, Mr. James Ellis, who has just released a book this week, Employer Branding for Small Business, Your Blueprint to Compete for Talent Against Anyone. Love the subtitle. Welcome back to the show, James.
2: Thanks, Serge. Thanks, Shelly. Shelly and the Cult Jam. I'm so glad to be here.
0: (laughs) It's a joke for only old people. That's Okay.
2: No, I'm thrilled to be here. And I think it should be stated that you were one of the very first readers of the draft, Mm -hmm. just to make sure I wasn't going insane. Anybody who's written a book has those moments where like, I think I made all this up. Does this make any sense at all? Is this crazy? And having folks like you, friends like you who can just say, yep, that works. That does this thing I think you're trying to do was so beneficial early on. So I really appreciate you reading it and and, and giving some feedback early on.
0: Yeah. I got to admit when I first read it, I was very impressed, but it took me a couple of times because I do start books, then I stop. But this is one of the books that I stopped halfway, not because it wasn't great. It's just life got busy then I'm like, shit, I should read the rest. And I can tell you the second <laughs> half was even better than the first half. So I'm glad I read it all. I can say I completed your book.
2: Well, it's only 135 yeah. pages. It's not the achie- it's not exactly hey, reading.
0: James, 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 I'm trying to toot my own horn. <laughs> I'm trying to here, make guy.
1: excuses. Yeah. Truth be told, it is something you can read. It's not like an intense need to put it down, pick it back no. up again. I found I was able to do it over a couple of days and really retain what the key messages were. Good reinforcement, and of course, I listened to the Talent Cast. So those two things combined really helps us learn because as much as I know, maybe you've been doing employer brand for more than a minute, it's still a very new concept. The Talent Chooses You was such a great book, really taught us a lot and gave us some great ways to learn and understand like Jesus and his fables. It's James and his tales. But what was the compelling reason to write another book?
2: I'm here turning Glassdoor reviews into wine. It's fantastic. (laughs) It's really quite something. I also do children's parties, incredibly boring children's parties, but I do them. Talent Chooses You was anybody who's read it and they've read the intro, I was really annoyed by something four years ago and I just went on just putting it all on paper it was written almost in a rage of spite I mean I will admit that it was I was really annoyed at some people and I said oh yeah boom and I had a long holiday weekend and it turned into something else and it turned into six weeks of just putting it on paper I thought I was really done I thought is there something else I need to say I don't know but I realized I'm in forums and I'm in conversations and the truth is employer brand hasn't moved forward much like it still seems to be talking about pretty pictures on instagram maybe a little less about glass door reviews but still hey let's write some better job postings but let's not describe what better means we'll just say not a litany of bullets that no one would ever want to put in their brain but more about hey pretty words and expressive language but the problem i'm seeing is that it's so much about good culture. This is a good place to work. So much mm-hmm. laden value judgment. And I'm like, no, the post office is a great place to work for someone. Goldman Sachs, no matter what you read in the newspaper about hundred hour work weeks and how it's, oh, it's a horrible place to work. People love to work there. And the answer is we're not doing a good job expressing what about our company is interesting. What's useful? What's the value we're putting out? And I think that's so crazy. Because in employer brand land, we talk about EVPs, the middle word, that middle V is for value. What is the value a company is getting from an employee and giving to an employee? And those things, even though it's in the term EVP, it's so poorly expressed and it makes me nuts. And I said, look, writing a big textbook about it it hasn't gotten anyone anywhere, but what if we took a different direction? What if we went smaller? What if we said, look, let's not talk about big ideas, let's not talk about huge concepts, let's simply say, hey, This is what it means to write a job posting that expresses what it's like to work there. Hey, this is how you use your brand to say something on Glassdoor that isn't the same thing everybody else says, right? This is the way you express it so that candidate X out in the world goes, I get what that's about. That's interesting. Or I get what that's about. No, no gracias. No mas. I'm good. And walks away because either answer is right. The truth is I got an employer brand because I've been in companies which were amazing and companies which were a toxic nightmare. And from the outside, they looked exactly the same. And I hate that. And I know people are having that experience still. Employer brand hasn't fixed that. And so I figured if we start in a place where people think employer brands shouldn't exist, like small business, let's see if we can prove the case. Now, I've actually had people say small businesses can't have employer brands. And I was just like, of course they can. They're the best position to have strong employer brands. Yeah. They're smaller, they're agile, they're tighter. They're focused about what they're about. They're not 12,000 units scattered across four continents. They're 300 people in Cambridge, England. They're 200 people in Utah. They're whatever they are. They're tight. They're focused.
0: Why on earth can't
2: we give them an employer brand? Why on earth can't we use that employer brand? And that's really where the book came from.
0: I'm still curious why you pick for small business because like everything that I read into it is applicable to pretty much any business. But I think where the big advantage for a smaller business is they can actually do stuff. They don't have to worry about legal. They don't need to worry about corporate marketing. The CEO is easy to access. So why the target of small business on the book cover? Because no one is talking about them or for them. And there are Millions of them.
2: That's the trick. It's 20 million businesses in North America. They aren't all Meta. They aren't all General Motors. They're not all Procter & Gamble. Most of them are 100, 200, 300, 400, 500 people. And the laws of economics say they can't afford a full time employer, Brander. And frankly, they probably can't afford bringing in an agency to do a full EVP project. But They still have a brand and they still can use it. They just need some very simple instructions to build it, right? To just, hey, it's just working on these eight projects, doing them these orders, seeing how one affects the other, how one impacts the other. You think two, three hours a week for 12 weeks, you can walk out of the other end with real obvious, noticeable point to it and say, yeah, we made some real impact here. That's really what it's about. Because the problem with big companies is that they're all kind of different, And it's very easy to say, oh, well, that's not quite my company. That's not quite exactly how it is. I thought if I started a small company and say, look, if you're scrappy and you're nimble and you're agile and you're just desperate to duct tape something together to get it out the door to make it work, this is the kind of employer branding you want that you should use and will
1: have real value. You touched on something that has always hit a nerve with me, and that is the job postings. I see it as a first, the easiest, the most obvious, the biggest impact. And a favorite line out of the book was, you wouldn't use the car manual to market the car. So why are we using job descriptions to market a job opportunity? I always think that nobody's got the skill. Are we just lazy?
2: A little bit. You've seen that meme where Spider-Man's pointing at two other Spider-Men. Each one of those Spider-Men is pointing to the other two. That, to me, is like how job postings get written. One of the Spider-Men is HR. One of the Spider-Men's the hiring manager. One of the Spider-Men is the recruiter. And they're like, I thought you were making the job posting. I thought you were making the job. And no one actually wants responsibility for it. And so consequently, it falls to the cracks. When there's no one who's in charge of it, you just go, give me the easiest thing I can take. Oh, you have a job description, a legal document that makes sense. Great. I'll scrape out the bullets. I'll throw some boilerplate on it. Bingo, bango, we're done. And that's what leads to 90% of crap job postings. It's got to be something more than that. And I always joke that if your job posting has bullets that were stolen from another job or frankly, another company, how is it being descriptive of your company? That's like saying, hey, meet James. And then I describe someone completely different, right? How does that serve anybody? But it's really easy to describe them. It's not easy for me to describe me. So I'm just going to do it because it's easy. It's the person looking for their car keys under the streetlight at night because the light's better there instead of actually where they, they lost their keys. That's the challenge. And the other part is there's very little kind of obvious reward. A good job posting doesn't bring in money. You can't point to it and say it is 27% better. The genius of Textio, and I have complicated relationship with Textio. I think they do a lot of great stuff. I have a lot of questions about some of the other stuff. But the genius of Textio is the gamesmanship that says there's a score at the top of that thing. And people inherently like to make the score a little better. Now, you can't say that a 76 score is 20% better than a 96 score, but it looks that way. And so I feel like I'm going to do that. But without that score, people are like, yeah, good enough. And there's just not enough incentive to say, write something interesting, write something real, write something true. And then you add on to that all the baggage of, well, we have to be positive. No, you know. My big bugbear in employer branding is that we've become cheerleaders for the company. And that's not what yeah. our job is. Our job is to express what's real and not be rah, rah, it's a great place to work. Because it's a great place to work for some people, but explain why. But if it's really so great, why are you paying them? Oh, because it's actually a pain in the ass sometimes. And that's okay, because it's a job and all jobs kind of suck sometimes. And that's, that's just life, right? To pretend <laughs> otherwise is to be completely naive and not really describe the reality on the ground. Now, the value is, if you know your employer brand, you can say the positives, but you can also state the negatives, creating a complete story. An employer brand with all positives is like saying, okay, let's tell the story of Star Wars, but let's not talk about the Empire and Darth Vader and the Death Star. It's just Luke, and he's great. What the hell kind of story is that? You need friction. You need kind of conflict. You need something to say, this is a story. And we've decided that all we're going to do is tell the nice parts. And you can't do that. The real power, though, is if you describe the downsides, the dark sides, whatever you want to call it, you can actually use the dark side to show how your claims about the positive stuff is real if you're talking about this idea like, hey, this is a place to work where it's really hard for us to get anything done. Everything needs 17 signatures. Everybody's got to be a part of it. Everybody needs to be involved in everybody else's decisions. We're completely transparent, but that means everybody's questioning everything you do 24-7. Now, if you leave that as a glass door review, that sounds like a nightmare place to work. But if I said, this is a place where we're very collaborative and we're very consensus-driven, We're very focused on making sure everybody is in agreement before we make steps forward. Now, that's not for everybody. But when you explain it like that, that sounds interesting. For some people, yeah, I want a place where it's about agreement. It's not about friction. It's not about fighting. It's about let's find a way for us to agree to these things and move forward. I've described the same company, the good and the bad. And if I just said this is a place where we like to be very agreeable. That sounds like total bullshit. That sounds like crap, right? That sounds like lies. But if I say, and the downside of that is we're slow moving because we need everybody to be on the same page. We do have so much transparency that sometimes it feels like you're always in the spotlight and not always in a good way. That negative says, this is the other side of the positive. And suddenly you go, yeah, I get why that's true. And I guess that positive must be true. That's the power of an employer brand. It lets you kind of tell the complete story.
0: Our last episode, we actually talked about a couple of things that relate directly to this. And one of the articles showed that 30% of candidates are looking for a job that is dependable. Then if you go on the job ads that are trying to recruit these people, it's all about the fancy, like entrepreneurial. And like, are you really targeting as a government or corporate, an entrepreneurial person? Aren't you targeting the wrong person but one of the things that i gotta admit copywriting scares me james really scares me writing a job ad writing a glass door review writing a recruiter outreach anything for social channels really scares me it, it intimidates yeah. me and what i love about your book you give the guidelines of what you should do and it gives me a head start yeah. so you just went on to the Glassdoor responses, which I absolutely love and was an aha moment for me. Yeah, me too. The mm-hmm. other one was the offer letters. Can you give the audience a little bit of a highlight of like how you should approach offer letters? Yeah. So the nice thing about employer
2: brand is it creates, and I won't say the word consistency, but it creates a kind of congruency where you're talking about seven things, but they all seem to be aligning in the same direction. You're not talking about this place. We're talking about consensus and collaboration, but also about each individual can do whatever they want, right? That makes no sense. There's no kind of sense of what is this place. But if you talk about, hey, this is a place of collaboration. This is a place of together. This is a place of teamwork. This is a place where we have deep transparency and we want people to challenge us. Those are four different things, but they're expressing the same idea. They come together the power of that brand is when you have that and you talk about that at the, the bait side, right? The job posting, the LinkedIn posting, the headline, the whatever it is that gets people attention. And they go, oh, that's interesting. That's important because they're going to see more of that same story through the entire candidate journey. Now, if they keep showing up to interviews, if they keep asking questions, I now know something very important about that candidate. They care about collaboration. Why? Because yeah. it was the bait that got them hooked and they keep hearing it and they keep showing up now that's cool and all but what happens at the offer letter stage is we just throw that out and we say let's talk about money right you know like you're chopping on a cigar hey let me give you some numbers here and this is a like you argue over title and you argue or start date whatever if you start the offer conversation with a simple line and in this case if we're talking about a collaborative environment the line is hey look We know you care about collaboration because that's the conversation we've been having for the last two months. And we hope that by now you've seen how much we care about collaboration, how much it's in our DNA and how we work. So we're thrilled to bring you one and we want to make you an offer. And then you do the rest of whatever you do. But just saying that frames the entire conversation such that the number is just a negotiation. You're just finding a fair number. Without it, everybody's trying to, Game everybody else. We're trying to squeeze as much juice out of that lemon, right? We're trying to do as much as we can. Within the frame, you're realizing I'm getting the thing I want. The money's just to pay my bills. It changes the conversation. And doing that, and this isn't completely abstract, this isn't academic. I've seen it happen. I've done this at a company, I won't say where, but I've done this at a company, and we saw like a 10 to 12% lift in offer acceptance rates. And I'm talking about like in two months. But understanding what you're about, understanding the story you're about, being consistent to that idea has value through the mm-hmm. whole thing, right? If you're buying a Volvo and you showed up because the Volvo commercial showed a car coming off a you know, parking garage and smacking into the asphalt, and you're like, it's a safe car. And every time you see a Volvo commercial, it's a safe car. And you go to buy it and they say, do you want the fast car? What? What the hell? No, I'm here for the safe car. That's what brought me here. That's the conversation we've been having for two days. Why aren't you selling me the safe car? And suddenly it's a whole different conversation. If you know what brought them in, you know what they care about, you know what to give them at the offer letter to make the offer process infinitely easier. And the crowd goes wild.
0: There's a couple of things. As I'm reading it, I saw something activating your employer brand. You mentioned focus, orientation, and SADR. Do you mind expanding into those three elements of activating your employer brand? And first of all, what does activating your employer brand mean? I have a very clear memory of the first time someone
2: told me we need to activate this brand. And I literally went, yeah, we do. And my brain went, what the hell was just, (laughs) what did I just agree to? What are they talking about? Activation means, first off, a brand is a concept. It is an abstract idea. Work at Nike because we let you do this. Work at Ford because of this. Work at Google because of this. Like there's there's an idea. The reason you believe that idea is not because they said it, but because they proved it. And that activation is how you put into the world the proof points. Coca Cola's consumer brand is happiness,
1: but they don't yeah. just
2: have billboards that say happiness, 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 happiness. Like they, that doesn't work. What they do is they instill and spark happiness with polar bears and Santa Claus and video of first dates and ball games and friends hanging out. It's happy, happy, happy moments. And it leads you to this idea that, yeah, happy. Thus, Coke equals happy. That is what $4 billion a year buys you. That's what it's there for. If your brand is all about collaboration, if it's all about opportunity, if it's all about freedom, it's all about teamwork, whatever it is, you can't just say teamwork, 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 aside from the fact that it becomes a tongue twister after about five times, apparently. But because what does that mean? You have to express it in such a way that I understand it. If I just say teamwork, what does that mean? Like... A baseball team is teamwork, but when the person goes to bat, it's just the one person. It's not the whole team. What does teamwork mean in this instance? How far can we push this idea of teamwork? Does that mean I can call anybody at 2 a.m. when I got a problem and they'll jump in because it's all for one and one for all? Is it that level of teamwork or is it, yeah, we like to make sure we're supported? Like, where does that happen? Give me the shape. Give me the boundaries of this idea. The activation is saying, this is the shape, and let me tell you a million stories that make that shape real, that delineate what is true about this company, so that we can say, this is how that idea of teamwork works in customer service, and this is how that idea of teamwork works in legal, and HR, and sales, because those things are different. So you want to activate it to those audiences so they can say, oh, I get it, that makes sense, and I'm interested. That's activation. So breaking that down, you want to make sure you're focused. If you're trying to activate seven things at once, you can't do it. Remember, Coca-Cola, happiness, it's one word. (laughs) And they do Mm -hmm. that globally. Again, $4 billion. You think it's easy. It's not. They can prove it. They have got the receipts to prove it. It's hard work. You've got to make sure it's focused. They don't talk about 7,000 things. They talk about one thing in 7,000 different ways. But again, it all leads to happiness. Second is you want to orient or reorient, I think is most important. If you look at any company's LinkedIn channel and you look at their employer brand posts, Generally, I see companies talk about whatever comes to mind, right? It's just, oh, it's Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. And depending on your country, that could be in November. That could be in October. If you could say, hey, it's Happy Diwali. You could say, hey, we hired some new people. Hey, we did a charity thing. Hey, it's just, ha, ah, hey, whatever happened this week? Sure, go right. There's no planning. There's no thought process. Just, ah, that thing happened. So let's talk about it. Ah. And then, of course, they have to paint it with the old happy brush. Make it super positive sounding. That means... I read this stuff and I go, I have no clue what it's like to work here. There's no focus. So the process of reorientation says, let's look at the last couple of things you wrote on LinkedIn. How do you talk about that thing? Your award, your charity event, you hired 17,000 people, whatever the heck you're talking about. How do you orient it to point to the brand? So if your brand is about collaboration, how can you say, hey, we won this award because of our collaboration? Hey, we hired these people and they're going to be our new collaborators. Right? There's always ways of expressing those ideas. And when you do that, you create this clear narrative about what this company cares about. Coca-Cola cares about happiness. They're not all over the map. They are singularly Mm. focused. And that creates a simple idea, a hook that reels somebody in.
0: hundred percent agree. I think one of the things that you mentioned there is looking at what you've done in the past. For anyone that's working in employment branding, I think one of the first things they should do is probably audit what's happened in the past. A
2: thousand percent. A thousand mm-hmm. percent. How would you go about auditing your whole employer brand? So it's interesting because each of the channels in employer brand, classic employer brand, Are often run by different people so let's compare the two biggest drivers of your employer brand let's take job postings off the table because no one really owns them and no one seems to want to own them and that's a mess and we've talked about that but the other two big ideas are your career site and your social channels now these two things could not be any more different let me tell you why because anybody who's been through a career site launch redesign is that really easy No, you get 17 people and their dog shows up for those meetings and they all have an opinion and they all have a very political opinion and half of them, let's be nice, all of them outrank you. So you are a leaf on the wind in that meeting, right? They're all telling you what to do. You got to say this, you got to talk about this, you got to show this, you got to. And so the job of writing a career site is a game of compromise. How do I try to make all these egos happy? And we all know it's not released, it escapes, right? Let's just get rid of it. Let's just, oh, I'm so tired. These meetings are unending. Let's get rid of it. Just publish the damn thing and you go which is why most career sites are two to three years old because no one goes i want to do that again that was fun no one ever edits their career site they're all older than the hills social media is run generally and i'm painting with a real broad brush here folks because i know you like it by a 25 year old kid yeah they're kids and i'm 50 so i can say that 25 year old kid who happens to know how instagram works but they've also been given linkedin and so they just say, hey, it's Thanksgiving. Hey, they do a thing. Now, what's interesting about that is that because they're so raw at this process, they're providing more of a pulse of what the company's really caring about today. We won an award. We did an event. We got this thing. We just launched this thing. It's now, 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 now. Career site is, well, about four years ago, we cared about this thing enough to argue over it in a room forever and we just published it. Those two things are somehow your employer brand. Yeah. Now, those of you who can see my face, you understand that I'm going, what, really? And for those of you who can't, just pretend. Those things don't make any sense. And so good employer branding says, how do I have that core brand concept embedded into this immobile boulder called my career site that is not going to change any time in the near future, or frankly, in the long-term future, but also connect to this go, 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 go social media posting. That is where employer brand happens. Now, here's a really interesting example, and I'm going to embarrass a company, but not really, because I like them a lot, and I'm a big fan. Pinterest, I did a really interesting audit about Pinterest where I said, okay, let's look at the last five or ten social posts on LinkedIn about their employer brand. And all they talk about, and God bless them for doing it right, talking about support. Let me show you how we support our people. We support our people in Mexico. We support our people in San Francisco. We support our people in Canada. We support mm-hmm. people this way. We support our program, policy, support. You cannot read that stuff and walk away thinking anything other than, well, Pinterest really cares about supporting their people. <laughs> and then you go to their career site and it's about empowerment. It is really good at telling this story about Pinterest being a place that empowers its employees. That is fantastic. However, I also go from the career site to the social and try to pull its picture together and it's really hard. Now I'll tell you inside baseball, I talked to them and they said, you know, that's funny. We never noticed that because why would you
0: No.
2: They're two different audiences, two different servers managing these ideas. And no one said Pinterest is all about X. So feed to that idea. An audit is really about understanding about what you're saying are you saying it consistently? Are you saying it well? Are you abiding by the SADR model, which is specific, attractive, different, and real? Everything you say should be specific, attractive, and different, and real. Otherwise, don't bother saying it. The more it is focused and specific, attractive, and real, the more it's going to paint a very specific picture. And if it's the picture you want, you are winning. And if it's not a
1: picture you want, fix it.
2: And that's how you do an audit.
1: One thing I didn't hear you say that I thought you were going to say. Ooh was there's what you want to be or what you aspire to be what you hope to be what i find is most companies if you ask them like how would you describe your brand and they talk about well we've got great teamwork what you were saying earlier right well nobody says that we are a backstabbing conniving place where you've always got to watch your back because somebody's definitely gunning for you yeah and you just gotta figure out who that is, who's gunning for you this week. And gun
2: and gun for them first. Yeah. But that's every sales organization. And when they talk about this is a place where we eat what we kill, this is a place where individual performance focus, that the you know, your bonus is not connected to anybody else, there are red flags about that idea that it is very much a cutthroat, backstabbing, dog eat dog situation. They don't use those words, unfortunately. But Places that talk about individual achievement, whatever it takes. There are key phrases that kind of indicate, hey, we're like this. And there are people who want that. Let's be fair. Again, the way you say about backstabbing, it sounds like a horrible place, a toxic place to work, except for somebody, they actually want that. Yes. I interrupted. So,
1: so my what I was driving at though is, when you're living it, it's almost the unintentional blindness of Mm. when you've read your resume 65 times and you still don't see the spelling mistake on it. Mm. It's the same thing with culture. And if you are in it and living it and you've already drank the Kool-Aid and you know what it's supposed to be like, right? Yeah, yeah. But I think that's why it's so challenging for somebody who is in the company, is living it, they are part of the consumer brand or whatever brand they have, and then trying to describe it. Yeah, It's as difficult and probably the reason why most people are really also crappy at writing their own resume.
2: Yeah. No, right? the, the line is, it's very hard to read the label from inside the pickle jar, right? It's very hard. You you have that curse of knowledge that you know what it's like. The other line is, we don't know who discovered water, but we know it wasn't a fish. It's their whole world. They can't discover it. It's, it's too much themselves. There's value in having an outsider come in and say that. I will tell you that one, good employer branders are one of the roles that It always has to have one foot outside and one foot inside. It cannot Mm. drink the Kool-Aid. It can't. It doesn't work that well. If you drink the Kool-Aid, you've become a cheerleader, and suddenly you're something else. It's just not the way it is. That said, what I try to do is build models and frameworks that force people who have been, let's pretend you're living in that company for five years. You have completely had the Kool-Aid. It's delicious. you have tried all the flavors. You know, which ones are sugar-free by the taste. Cause it's got that little chemical bit to it. You can tell, you can just, yes. We know, <laughs> the problem is, is that you're right. It's hard to see. You have that curse of too much knowledge. You see the strings, you see all the compromises. The reason we do that is because four years ago, Bob said this, but Sue was really pissed when he said that. And so they decided it was this, you know, too much. So hmm. things like SADR, Things like mapping out the brand, understanding what motivation you're talking about, doing an audit of other people first before you do an audit of yourself. These are designed to kind of break that blindness that you have. So I offer a class in which I walk people, a six-week class, where I walk them through how to build their own brand, right? And the first exercise is I'm going to teach you how to do an actual audit. Now go audit three competitors. Though next week I say, now that you've learned how to do it, now go audit yourself. And the reason I don't do it the other way is because I want them to see and think about other people first. So that creates that kind of apples to apples comparison. If you start with yourself, you're burdened. You've got all this bias. It's really hard to get good stuff. And if you're trying to put yourself in the shoes of a candidate who knows nothing about you, don't bother. You, You can't do it. So there are ways to force a perspective shift to see your company for what it's trying to be and or slash or but you used a word that is dangerous and that is aspiration now mm-hmm. i am a big believer that anything more than 10 percent aspirational is just a flat-out lie so you're describing a company that does not actually exist and you hope will exist one day fingers crossed yay us but it's never going to let's be fair if it did it would have already so there you go you can talk about ambition you can use ambition as a value we see this future right the reason spacex is spacex is because Because the big melon, that's his name. The big melon says, we're going to Mars. He's got that vision and it's the ambition. And then you see all the work that goes into doing it. And you don't call that an aspiration because an aspiration is, I hope it happens. But an ambition is, I got a plan. I got resources. I got materials. Let's go. That is different. And too many brands are built on the backs of aspiration. This is going to be a great place one day. Come join us and maybe I guess you'll make it better. Right? That sounds like, please sign up for this cult. You're the
1: one who's going to fix it. <laughs> Who wants that job? Nobody. Nobody. Well, there, wants- it's, no, listen, I think you're the first one to say there's a perfect job out there for somebody. Yeah, I right? guess that's true. Like, So I really believe some people want that challenge to come in and disrupt the whole bloody thing, break everything. Bull in a China shop, they usually end up getting packaged out at 18 months.
2: Yeah, yeah. Great way to describe a COO, someone who has the authority potentially to make those changes happen, or a a CMO or somebody with the authority to say, this is the direction we're moving the company. If you hire your junior social media worker and say, please fix us, <laughs> bye bye you got nothing you're going nowhere it, you're 100% right there is a, a person for every job but too many brands are pure aspiration
0: i agree okay but, i want to dive in a little bit deeper because the employees might think it's aspirational but the ceo might think it's reality especially sure. in a smaller business we do all these audits this is what we want to be in the market the ceo is like every aspirational quote that you can think of is what he thinks his company is And it ends up dying there. And then it looks like a boilerplate of every recruitment, marketing, employment, branding that's out there. How do you change that? How do you fix that with the CEO? It is not easy, but I will start by saying this. The employer brand's
2: job is not to say that the baby is ugly. The employer brand's job is to
0: say, have you considered piano
2: lessons? Everybody (laughs) has something great they have to offer. Okay, hold on. (laughs) What
1: did you just say? Sure. How Fiam- is the
0: baby ugly and piano lessons like?
2: Okay, I'll break it down then. CEOs think those companies are their kids, and you can't say anything about their kids. You can't say anything bad. They see nothing but the best in them. They're all about teamwork. They're all about collaboration. Everybody should love working here. The anti-work Reddit thread is filled with the detritus and the artifacts of bosses who think this is the best place ever to work. Why don't you love working here? There's my yeah. my favorite is there's like a poster that's the boss never hears you say, yeah, I'll work an extra hour. That's totally fine. Like it's filled with all this like insanity of I've completely drunk the Kool-Aid and I've given my entire life to this company stuff. The boss thinks you can't tell the boss your company sucks. You can't tell them that their kid is ugly. What you can say is it's not about beauty pageants. It's going to be about this other thing. You are not about teamwork. You are, in fact, about this thing, but you're a Amazing at this thing. Let's lean into this. Let's talk about this idea, whether it's individual achievement or innovation or performance or culture, whatever that thing is. It's not about saying this thing is ugly. It's about finding the thing that makes you amazing. I think of employer branding, the platonic ideal of employer branding is understanding where a company and to whom a company can be either the most or the only. You are a company for whom you are the most collaborative, you are the most performance driven, you are the most supportive culture, or you're the only one who cares about blank. You're the only one who does this. When you can be in that position to a particular audience, you're in a strong employer brand position. And that's the goal. We're trying to position the companies so that they can say and make those claims in a very specific, attractive, different, and real way to candidates that they actually want to hire right? That's the goal is to focus intention. Now telling a CEO, Hey, how about the piano lessons? How about this other thing is a bit of a shift. It doesn't happen in a meeting. It happens over time. It takes data. It takes evidence. It takes proof points. It takes, Hey, look, you think you're about collaboration. Let me show you three businesses that are actually about collaboration. Do Do you have this? Do you have this? Do you have this? No, no, we don't. Okay. So maybe there's some wiggle room. Let's talk about this other thing. There are ways.
1: It sounds like having toddlers at home. A little bit. I'm serious. Like that was my parenting go-to style yeah. is if your toddler's doing something that's that Look you don't want here. them Look to do. Here. Jingle the gear. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Just distract them. Look over yeah. there. Yeah.
0: So one of the things you just described there is actually really hard. To be able to communicate that to a CEO takes a skill set. And I'm going to make an assumption, not a lot of employment branding professionals have. So when you're hiring someone that is going to be that driver of the business when it comes to employment branding, what should you look at? So say we have CEOs or CHROs listening, what should they look at?
2: Look, a good employer brander walks in the door knowing they have exactly zero authority or power. Their only power is an influence. How do I influence others to look at this problem differently? How do I influence CEOs to see it in a different way? Now, I found... That if you can prove to a CEO that you have valuable perspective, if you take a very consultative approach, you can unlock all sorts of change. But most people, when they talk to their CEO, they act like supplicants. They act like employees. They're so focused on their own world. And I always joke that businesses only care about four things, making money, saving money, extending the brand, not getting sued. And my friend said, oh yeah, don't forget the fifth thing, stroke the ego, which Totally valid. Totally valid. That's the only thing businesses care about. Making money, saving money, extend the brand, don't get sued, stroke everybody's ego. If you can show how you're doing those things, you get invited to more of the rooms where decisions get made. Like every employer brander, when they start, and I count myself among them, when they start, they think about the Mad Men 30-minute reveal right <laughs> i'm gonna make you cry and i'm gonna walk you to this idea that's a voila it's here's a rabbit out of a hat and they go oh that's amazing and there's a tear in their eye like they expect that to happen and that never flipping happens you want to know how have a great meeting with an executive get it down to five minutes start with the answer explain the answer let them kick the tires on it once they are tired of kicking tires you say and this is the value and this is how we implement it they say great and you get out of that room that is how ceos want to be communicated to That is not how we're trained to communicate. We come from recruiting. We come from marketing. We want that moment and it doesn't happen. CEOs count their attention in seconds and not in hours. And so if you can lean into that idea and and think of yourself as a consultant, there's actually a good book called, Why Should the Boss Listen to You? It's written by a professional consultant. And they said, the difference between me and you is not that I know more, it's that I have a different approach in how I communicate, how I listen, and how quickly I get to an answer. When I read that, I was like, mind blown. You think of all the people in the company who just want to influence the CEO, but again, they want that big half hour. They want to really warm them up. It's like, no, get to the point. Give me the answer. Give me the proof. Got to go by. That is how you really break down those doors.
0: You just described how Shelly has <laughs> been so successful in her career. She's yeah. so good at stroking egos. I think that is no. like Shelly's superpower.
1: No, one of the things I would take a little bow for is the ability to understand that a CEO's attention span ends at 20 minutes. You don't yep. get a half an hour. That you've got too. to say it that in too. 20 minutes and you've got to figure out what the problem is and when you come back, you'd better have the answer.
2: Yeah. There's a guy J- Jeremy Wait W A I T E, Jeremy Connell Wait I think his name is. He does communication design for IBM. And he talks about how he builds proposals and conversations with these leaders. And they're talking 10 and $100 million deals. We've got every C person in that company in that room. They talk about how you have exactly six minutes because after six minutes, their attention drifts. So what you do is you say, I have a 20 minute presentation. Every six minutes, I'm going to give them something to let them fade out and then snap them back into focus and bring it in. Like that level of scripting. There's so much kind of like brain science involved and how people just, yeah. it, it's amazing. So he's got some great stuff to go listen to podcast mm-hmm. wise. It's great stuff.
0: So James, Thank you,
1: some great advice.
0: When is the worldwide tour for this book? <laughs> I have no idea. So I have, Paris, have no idea. London, books, uh,
1: downtown Chicago chapters. <laughs> Indigo. Yeah, I have nothing set up right now.
2: I mean, you're talking about a guy who published the book two days ago. I am fried. Like, I am fried. I'm trying to run a business and build the business up and do all these things. The book took up a lot of time. So as you can see, I love talking about this stuff. So if you want to invite me to anywhere, I will come and talk about this stuff pretty much at the drop of a hat. It's pretty dangerous being between me and the stage, right? I love to talk about this stuff. But right now, there's nothing planned.
1: Okay, so your dance card's open. In the show notes, we will have the link to where to buy the book, but to get a signed copy, like what does one have to do? That's a
2: great question. We could talk about that offline.
1: Okay. Okay.
2: <laughs> you have to run a
1: podcast,
0: apparently. That's exactly. Yeah, exactly. Going. So it is available right now. It was officially released April 4th. So Amazon, all the major bookstores, I'm assuming. No, just oh. Amazon.
2: It's just Amazon. Just
0: Amazon. Just so- Amazon. Are you going to have a podcast where you're going to read your book? (laughs) I don't know if it would
2: work. It's a whole different model for a book. I will tease that I'm having conversations about the next podcast, whatever that might be. So I will say that if you are not yet sick of the sound of my voice, and if you're not, my hat is off to you, but there is talks about new podcasts.
1: I am not sick of your voice. I will definitely subscribe. Absolutely. James, from the very first time I spoke to you, it was like this is somebody I want to be friends with. So thank you for. There being you go, friend.
0: stroking egos, Shelly.
1: Oh, <laughs> shut up, Surge. Gotta go. God. Stop <laughs> bugging me. You Mom, salty yeah, butter today. Fighting. Oh my God.
0: <laughs> thank you, James. So great to have you on the show. No, I'm so thrilled to be here. Thanks, guys.
1: Thank you, James. Talk to you later. Hi, my name is Sarah, and I want to tell you about my podcast called